0: Father, we thank you for all the ways that you uh, continually sustain us and provide for us and Today, as we continue to work our way through your word through Luke, uh, I, I pray that you 'll give us wisdom and insight so that our faith and love can be deepened and, and also our gratitude to you, just seeing how much we 've been given through the deep, rich knowledge of our Lord Jesus and all that he 's done for us and so Father, we Ask all these things and pray for all these things for Jesus' great name's sake. Amen. amen. All right, y'all. Last week we left off in chapter seven. We um, last thing we looked at was the healing of a centurion servant. This is um, this is part of a new section oh, in your notes. We're on page seventeen. We're we're down at the bottom and just kind of looking at the larger picture here. Let me let me show you where we're headed in this section uh we're going to be looking at these things today um this section goes from chapter 7 verse 1 through chapter 8 verse 3 now again you can divide up the chapters in a lot of different ways and so forth but that seems like a good dividing line to me and and we'll we'll talk about that today uh why, why i think that's so but uh last week we we looked primarily at Jesus' first big sermon, the so-called Sermon on the Plain, where he sets up um, what it looks like to be somebody who is going to follow his teaching, uh, follow his way, so to speak. And so we we just read through that and made a couple of points. And then in these next chapters, we're going to see application of all that in one way or another. And so uh, all of these are going to really center around the idea of faith and how important that is for the larger work that Jesus is doing and also the larger kingdom context. So the very first example that we have is the centurion who sends to Jesus to heal his beloved servant. Y'all, y'all remember that. And of course the servant tells Jesus, listen, you don't even have to come. I'm a man under authority and I know if you just speak the word, it'll be done. And Jesus at that point in seven nine, says, I tell you that not even in Israel... Have I found such faith? So these next several chapters all kind of swirl around issues of faith and faithlessness and what those things look like, what those attitudes of heart and mind look like. So last week we left off with that centurion. Today we're going to look at another huge uh, miracle that Jesus does, another healing. But this is the raising of the widow's son in Nain. Then we've got an episode with John the Baptist where John the Baptist gives us a little bit of a negative example there. We'll, we'll talk about that. Then after that, Jesus has an episode with a sinful woman where he forgives her and tells a parable in the um, house of a Pharisee. And then uh, chapter 8, we get into talk about some of the women who are accompanying Jesus and their role in his ministry. And then he begins to speak in parables, which we haven't had yet in Luke. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we can kind of uh, work through that today. Now, I don't know if we'll get that far, but we're going to see. Um, so today, as, as we pick up, we're in the middle of these healings. And if you remember, I, I've said a couple of times that as you read through Luke, you, you pick up very quickly on this pattern where it's uh, teaching and healing, teaching and healing, teaching and healing, or some you know, form of that. And so today, we've just had this long sermon from Jesus in chapter 6, the Sermon on the Plain that sets this really high um, bar. And really, if, if I could summarize that whole sermon in one way or another, it would be in chapter 6, verse 40. And you don't have to turn there. You, you probably starred this from last week. But in the middle of this sermon, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Right. And here, you know, the word disciple just means student. Uh, Sometimes we over spiritualize that term. But a disciple is just a student. A student is not above his teacher, but everybody is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Now, think about the implications of that for just a minute, because this is what Jesus is getting to. He's called uh, his disciples. He's called the twelve and set them apart as apostles. Right now he's training his disciples. And as he as he trains them. His goal is that they and us would be like who? Him, Him, right? Wow. Now, if that doesn't cause you to wake up in the middle of the night, fretting a little bit, then you're not hearing what Jesus is saying. Because I don't know about you, but I still feel like I'm a long way away from being like Him in everything. And so He's given us all these examples about doing good, even to those who hate us, and doing good to our enemies. Lend expecting nothing in return right um take care of yourself don't judge others Uh, don't tell somebody else how to get a speck out of your out of their eye when you got a big old tree log coming out of yours uh and then he talks about you know a tree will be known by its fruit You, uh, you want to be a good tree that produces good fruit and then finally he says why do you call me lord lord and yet you don't do the things that I tell you to do, right? So, so all this is getting us ready for where he's taking us, that Jesus expects his disciples to become more and more like him. And the question is, are they doing that? Well, the centurion is, right? He is, he is exercising faith and trust in Jesus. Then you have the widow in chapter 7, 11, and that's where we'll pick up the story. We've got uh, a couple of episodes of healing. We get, the again, the centurion's servant that's healed. Then we get the raising... Of the uh, widow's son in Nain, and I'm just going to read through this. You can, you can, you can see what's going on here. It doesn't even really need a lot of interpretation. So, seven eleven, it says soon afterward, he Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. So, uh, clearly his disciples are following around, and then crowds are also following him at this point. Verse twelve says, and as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died, was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Now, we've talked about this before. When Jesus gets up in Nazareth and reads from Isaiah 61, he says, you know, The Lord has anointed me because he has sent me to proclaim the good news to the poor. And there we said that the poor are not just the economically downtrodden. These are the people who are kind of helpless and hopeless, the spiritually bankrupt. And this widow would be one of those people. She is a widow and her only son has died, which means she's in real trouble in this culture. Right? It's going to be very hard for her to keep her living going and whatnot because the key people that should provide protection for and provision they're gone and so jesus sees this and he has compassion on her right she's in she's in she's, she's she's poor she's in a bad way and so verse 14 it says then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still uh in the first century the jews they usually tried to bury somebody on the same day they died because you know you didn't have embalming and things like that so they would have wrapped this man up and uh, put him on top of a, like a plank you know that they were carrying him to the tomb so you know it's not like a casket or something like that it's just a some wood that's been put together and his body's on top of it and jesus comes up and touches it and they all stand still again just as you're reading through luke notice how many times jesus touches something he didn't listen to his mama who was always saying don't touch that right he's touching everything he's touching lepers he's touching things with dead people on it which as you know That should ceremonially defile him, but it doesn't affect him. Right. And he's not worried about it. So and and secondly, death is in real trouble here. Right. Because it's not that Jesus is going to be infected with death. He's about to infect this boy with life as he speaks. Right. So as as the Lord of life is here, death is not an issue. So he comes up and touches it. And he says, young man, I say to you, arise. (laughs) Oh, man, wouldn't you love to be here this day? Verse 15, and the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother and then fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, now here's the kind of the main point of this story. I mean, clearly the healing, the raising from the dead is important, but this is, this is the main issue. The people are amazed and they glorify God saying a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Almost every um, every uh, miracle that Jesus has done up to this point, and and even this, um, even the raising from the dead, they have Old Testament counterparts. The the lepers were the more unique things. In fact, if you if you've read through the Old Testament, you know that uh, Elijah raises uh, a widow's son in uh, Zarephath, which. Jesus actually refers to earlier, uh, when he's at Nazareth. Uh, Elisha also raises, um, Shunammite boy from the, from the dead and whatnot. So this is not unheard of. But, uh, in the context of these other miracles, it's causing these people to raise all the right questions. Who is this? You see that? This is, is this a great prophet? Surely a great prophet has arisen among us. Um, and really important, God has visited his people all right god now just hold on to those ideas We're, luke's going to take that and weave that together into something just a little bit later for us so these people are raising all the questions about who he is and what he's doing because before that only prophets elijah and elisha they're, they're the ones who've raised people from the dead through the power of god and and if you go back and read those stories it was the same response that when they did that uh, the people who were there said, oh, "We know now that you're a great prophet of God, because the Lord is Yahweh is with you and whatnot." So here, this gives evidence that the Lord is with him in a very powerful way, like the prophets of old. Uh, but not everybody gets it, and, and it's really interesting. So notice, after Jesus has just done, and I would go so far to say, "Is boy, that would get somebody's attention, raising somebody from the dead?" You know, I was just. Um, uh, I, 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 this story was shared with me in confidence, and I, I won't <laughs> repeat any of the names because I'm not sure, but uh, years ago, there was a missionary group that had gone out and was doing medical work, and uh, somebody had come up from the Amazon, and while the guy was there, he had a heart attack and died right there in the thing, and this was early on when they were trying to establish the ministry. And um, uh, <laughs> one of the guys that was there said, oh, Lord, what, what are we going to do? uh if this if the word gets out nobody's going to come and you know get help from us because we're up here killing people and whatnot and one of the other guys said well jesus laid hands on people and prayed for them and maybe that's what we ought to do so they all laid hands on this guy and was praying for him and the guy that told the story said he said i'm just sitting there thinking oh, i'm gonna happen i mean i don't know that god does that anymore and as they're praying <gasps> God breathes and sits back up. Whatever they were all, you know, they were all stunned. He said, "The next day we had more people than we could possibly deal with." Right? <laughs> so raising, you know, people coming back from death is a, you know, that gets people's attention. Um, and and you know, and it should uh, issue in faith. And so right on the heels of that, Luke puts the story about John the Baptist, and I'm just going to summarize some of this because y'all have all read it. Uh, John, if you remember, he's in prison at this point, and he sends some of his, he sends two of his disciples to go to Jesus. Um, and and uh, we, we've had this a couple of times in Luke, I think already, or, or is this the first time? Um, if you look in uh, 18 and 19, well, I'm going to read this now because this is important. 18 19, says, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. See that? So they just reported all this to John. He's cleansing lepers. He's raising people from the dead, right? And John, so, what should be John's response? Wow. Why wouldn't John have known who was the Messiah? Because his mother knew that Mary yeah. was having him. Yeah, yeah, Well, And John's already identified him. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if we look at the Gospel of John, when Jesus comes up, he, he not only points out that he's the Messiah, but he goes so far as to say, there is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. So not only does he know at that point that he's the Messiah, but he even goes a little bit further, right? But here, as he's in prison, even after his disciples, and I'm, I'm going to answer that question, Joanne, as we go. Um, even his disciples are sent, John has this question. And, and the thing I want you to see is in verse 19, notice it says, John calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to, what does your translation have there? The Lord. Right, Luke, in his narrative, will often just say that Jesus is the Lord, like almost as offhand, not even thinking about it, right? So as Luke writes this gospel, he is reinforcing who Jesus is. Uh, the question is already in this context, is he just the prophet, and Luke already lets some of his hand out right here, right? Yeah, he's not just a prophet, he is the Lord, right, and so we'll we're, we're going to trace that along as we go. So John sends a couple of his disciples, send him to the Lord, and saying, "Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another right So who are you? now I, I want to show you something that's really interesting. Hold your finger right there, and if you want to read this with me, I want you to turn over the first chapter of John and, and I want to show you something and I think I may have mentioned this earlier, but again, I, I teach this four times a week, so I don't know what I'm repeating and what I haven't said and what I have said. Y'all just bear with me. I'm also, you know, I'm in my 50s now, so I I, I don't know what I said this morning. Uh, and, and from what I hear, it just gets worse. Uh, uh, John 1, John 1, 19. Of course, Gospel of John, chapter 1, great chapter. Uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. God the Word was with God that... And then uh, we get to the uh, ministry of John. So 119, it says, Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. See that? Verse 21, So then they asked him, Well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, Nope, I am not. And then they said, Well, are you the prophet? And he said, no. So they said to him, well, who are you? (laughs) We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of, uh, this is such a precursor to Jesus. They ask him a question and he answers in a way that's almost completely opaque. uh, If you're not paying attention. He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So John sees himself as the forerunner of the Messiah, right? But he doesn't think he's the prophet or Elijah. Now, if you look in the very next verse, I love this, that John includes this. This is really important. Verse 24, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. You see that? Now, we we talked about the Pharisees a little bit earlier. The Pharisees were the Bible scholars, right? In the first century, They they had developed in the intertestamental period And they had been the ones studying the Hebrew Scriptures. And a subset of the Pharisees, the scribes, they were the ones that were recording the manuscripts and making copies so that it could be uh, preserved for posterity. And so the the Pharisees were the biblical experts. They're the ones writing the commentaries. They're the ones that are going to become the rabbis later as Judaism develops. And a lot of their writings are collected in the Mishnah. And then the Mishnah develops into the Talmud, the huge collection of rabbinic writings now today that's just too big to even put on a one bookshelf but here the these pharisees they sent and notice who they send to ask this question about john Uh, they sent the levites see that they sent the priest and the levites from jerusalem to ask john who he is and i think this is why they did it if you remember when we started this study we actually started in malachi and in malachi three and four the last prophet in the old testament In the last two chapters, the Lord speaks through Malachi, and He foretells the day when He is going to return to um, bring judgment, primarily. He's he's going to come to restore Israel. But those last two chapters are really about the judgment to come. And one of the things that He says is, I am going to send Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And part of what Elijah is going to do is he's going to prepare the way for the Lord, Because when the Lord comes, the first thing He's going to do is to cleanse the priests and the Levites. right? Because Malachi already foresees that the temple is is becoming corrupt. And they're falling back into the same sins that got them in trouble and got them exported to to Babylon earlier. So these Pharisees, they probably have read Malachi. They know what's going on. And I have a feeling they send these (laughs) priests and Levites to John the Baptist because they're thinking, okay, if He lights them up... Right, And if he refines them like a refiner's fire, then we'll know exactly who he is. But they go, and they're trying to figure it out, and John's like, nope, I'm not any of those people. Right? <laughs> Which is really interesting, because y'all know, when Jesus tells us who John is later, he says, I tell you, Elijah has already come. John was Elijah, but Elijah is also coming again, right, at the at the end. So, to me, that's fascinating because what that seems to indicate is John is not even fully aware in his ministry of the full implications of his ministry. Do you understand what I'm saying? I was I was talking to a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, and, and I told him, you know, I was, I was reading a book recently that, or except from a book recently that was uh, written in the 1800s, and it largely went unnoticed until the mid-20th century when some... Random theologian found it and then brought it into popular circulation. So I told everybody, you got to read this. you got to know what's going on. And I told my friend that when you think about ministry, it may be that the full effect of your ministry is not for when you are right now. It may be for a generation after you. Because we don't know how the Lord is going to use what's going on. Right? So even John may not have been fully aware of his place in the Lord's plans. All he knows is... I'm the one who's come to prepare the way for the Lord. I'm not getting hung up in all the Elijah. I don't. My name's John. I don't think I'm Elijah. Right? They didn't name me Elijah. But uh, Jesus says he clearly was. Now, the, my main point in all that is that at this time, that gives us real insight into who the Jews were looking for. They knew that as the new age was coming, right as the kingdom of God was coming, He was going to ascend Elijah, based out of Malachi three and four he's also going to send the prophet and that's probably a reference to Deuteronomy 18 where in Deuteronomy, the Lord says to Moses, there will come a day when I will raise up a prophet from among your people, just like I've raised up you. And when he comes, the people are going to listen to him and he's going to guide the people back and so forth. So at this time, it's pretty clear that they were looking for um, Elijah, the prophet and the Messiah. And so John is wanting to know because he, right early on he knows jesus is the messiah right he's already said that i'm not even worthy to untry the thong of his sandal but just like all the disciples and everybody else nobody clearly understands this first ministry of jesus and i think the thing that trips john up is exactly what jesus said earlier that as he's come this is in luke 4 he says i've come to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim release liberty to the captives to those who are in prison right the messiah is going to come he's going to turn the prisons out where's john he's in prison right what are we doing here right I, jesus i mean i i heard that when you got up and read from isaiah wasn't there something about releasing prisoners in here and here i am in prison right? Um, it is amazing how quickly faith goes in the ditch when things don't work out the way you think they're supposed to, right? When 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 God does not meet your expectations, and let me ask you this: When does God ever meet your expectations? <laughs> right. So part of growing in faith is realizing God is Father. God is never going to do things the way I expect it to. I got to be flexible enough to go along with the plan as it's being unfolded, right? And so here, here John is. Uh, are you the one to come, or shall we look for another? Verse 20, back, back in Luke, Luke 7, 20. says, and, and when the men had come to him, they said, John, uh, John the Baptist has sent us to you. Are you the one to come, or shall we look for another? And then at hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind he bestowed sight. Exactly what we just read in Isaiah. Release of the prisoners. The giving of sight to the blind, and we this is the first time we've had mention of this in Luke, right we haven't seen him heal anybody that was blind, but here we're just told that that's what he was doing, uh, so he 's fulfilling everything that had been um, had been said about him also it's it's really interesting, and, and I 'll come back to this, tie that into a word a little bit later in verse twenty one mine says um, that last the last little phrase there, On many who were blind." Mine says it bestowed. He bestowed sight. I don't know what your translation has there. Bestowed. Uh, the, the, the word in Greek is the same root that our word for grace comes from. He graced people with sight. Right. He freely gave people their sight back. That's that's the idea there. Now, that word is going to show up a few more times. And it's we're, we're going to we're, we're going to trace it as it goes through here. Um. So verse 22, uh, so Jesus answered the disciples of John. He said, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. Uh, circle those two words. Go tell John what you have seen and heard. What you've seen and heard, right? That's Luke's one of Luke's big strategies. Jesus preaches, so we need to listen to what he says. And he performs these healings and miracles so that people can see. Right, See and hear, preach and heal, see and hear, preach and heal, see and hear. Right? Constant repetition. So really important. Go tell them what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And, and, and in Greek, uh, that is literally, blessed is the one who does not trip over me, who does not get stumbled up over me. Right, and that is a direct allusion to Isaiah eight fourteen, where uh, there in that text, um, Isaiah is given a message about the Lord is going to establish a stone, but he will become a stone of stumbling and a fence, and people are going to trip over him. Right, and of course that that ties into some things that are coming up. Uh, and so notice how Jesus answered John. He doesn't say yes or no. He says listen and, and look. Right. Listen and look. You need to figure it out. <laughs> it's pretty plain who I am. Right? <laughs> and then uh, verse 24, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Uh, this is so good, because uh, Jesus could have really uh, you know, brought up some negative points about John at this point, but he doesn't. He says this, uh, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, he was more than a prophet. This is of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Right, And that's Malachi 3.1 again. Boy, man, Luke loves Malachi, right? Jesus and them love Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament era. So here Jesus uh, specifically identifies John as the prophet who's going to go and prepare the way before the Lord, right? And then he goes on to say, verse 28, "...I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John." Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John is, you know, theologians debate about this and talk about this. In my view, John is the last prophet of the Old Testament era. And so he's like a hinge. He is the prophet who comes to say, okay, everything that was foretold is now being fulfilled in our days. And so he prepares the way of the Lord By saying, now is the time that all these things are going to be fulfilled. So he is the hinge from that, you know, from the Hebrew scriptures into the ministry of Jesus, as the Messiah has come to fulfill everything that the Lord God had foretold that he would do. And so that that's why Jesus says there's nobody greater than John. Uh, John is, you know, John, I mean, if you think about it, uh, John. How do I say it? I'll say it this way. John is, if, if, that, if what I've said is accurate, John is the only Old Testament prophet that actually saw the Messiah. Right? Was there. Isaiah just foresaw him. Ezekiel foresaw him. John is there when he shows up, and John is able to say, there he is, right there. That's him. Right? So, so John is given a unique place. He is at the time of fulfillment. And that's why he is great. Um, But also he says, uh, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And I think what Jesus is saying there is, as Jesus is coming to offer the kingdom and develop the kingdom, that when the kingdom comes, it's going to be so much greater than anything y'all could have possibly expected. Right? And even the least person in that kingdom is going to be greater than John. Right? John's part of the old way. Now this new thing that I'm given, it's going to be something just so far beyond anything. And so uh, uh, the least of those who are in the kingdom is going to be greater than John. And, and Jesus is going to use that language, the least, the least, the least, several more times. And so we're going to trace that thread along uh, and so forth. Uh, and, then, and then the last thing here, I'll see if you've got any questions. Let me just finish this little section up. Uh, verse 29 and 30 when the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So, right. So Jesus is stirring up a little trouble here. Those who were baptized by John, they thought, oh yeah, this is good to hear. But those who weren't they have rejected God's purpose for him. And then Jesus gives a little illustration here that, that's really interesting. He says, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. And so thirty three, John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him a glutton and a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom, it will be justified by all her children. What, 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 what Jesus is saying is this, this generation is like kids playing out, right? And they play a tune, and John's not going to dance to that tune, right? And they play another tune, and Jesus is not going to dance to that one. In other words, neither John nor Jesus is going to fit into their expectations, right you don't get to make up the song you don't get to tell me what i'm going to dance to and what i'm going to mourn to i'm the one who does that right and so y'all y'all have missed the mark altogether right y'all are y'all are rejecting us because we're not meeting up to your expectations right and it makes no sense because you said you know john is living out there he doesn't eat or drink or do anything you say he's got a demon but i come eating and drinking and you say well who is he? Glutton and a drunkard, hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, right? <laughs> now, well, you know, and I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking, yeah, it sounds like it'd be a lot more fun to hang out with Jesus, right? I mean, <laughs> bottom line, uh, sounds like he's having a much better time than John was. But then, but, but then at the end, he says uh, this really almost cryptic statement: "Yet wisdom will be justified by all of her children." That raises this other question that we looked at when we did the wisdom literature last year, but also we're gonna trace this through. And that is Jesus is going to make a point that uh those who are wise, those who are really wise, are gonna follow what he's teaching. And they that will ultimately give justification to everything that he's doing here, right? Because y'all, you know, as we know, his teachings so far have been very difficult. Right? You, you you go and you see him heal and raise somebody from the dead, but then you listen to what he's teaching and you think, whoa, that's, that's tough. That's, that's some rough stuff. What, what does all this mean? So Jesus is saying, we're just going to have to wait and see how all this works out. Uh, but, it's, but it will work out. So uh, we'll trace that along as we go. Anybody, any questions on any of that so far? The, yeah, yeah, Ann. I don't know if I've heard this somewhere in the past, but that explanation that Jesus sent them to go back and tell John... And all those things, he doesn't mean release the captives. Yes, and if you notice, he does not uh, mention that specifically in in that text, although he had, uh, that did show up when he read from Isaiah in chapter 4, you know, so yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just the, um, it's the idea that we're not doing everything all at once here, right? There's, you know, there's some things we're doing and other things that we're not, but there's enough evidence that I am the one who was sent, you know. To me about John. Now, yeah. You are, here, that's yeah. Perfect. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know one one of the things that, that that we're never told is how John responds to that. You know, that that's kind of left as an open-ended thing. And it's that's kind of sad because we already know that Herod's going to cut his head off. You know, before the end of Jesus' ministry. He is he, you know, one of the things one of the one of the patterns that I see in Luke and Acts, as he tells these stories, are are people who begin ministries, but they don't get to live to see the outcome of it. Or they begin ministries and they wind up in a place that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And this whole prison thing is really important because (laughs) the key story we're going to trace when we get over into Acts, the latter chapters of Acts, is Paul and his missionary journeys. And how does this story end in Acts? Anybody remember? he's in prison he's in prison the the man that jesus handpicks to say i am selecting you and i'm not even giving this to one of the 12 right who i I am picking you out of the blue you're going to be the one who takes the gospel to the gentiles and even to kings and governors and right you're going to you're going to take it out further uh, west than anybody else is going to do and uh (laughs) <laughs> last two letters paul writes he's in prison and you gotta think that if you're there you're thinking wait a minute lord didn't we wasn't there a plan here i mean taking the gospel to the ends of the earth that doesn't sound like one you're going to be in prison you know and uh i i love it though because in i think it's in philippians he says because uh, that's one of the prison letters and and he says uh he talks about his imprisonment and he says uh You know, man, I know y'all have been praying for me, and this seems terrible. But it's actually turned out to my advantage because now I've got to preach the gospel to the whole praetorian guard. (laughs) All these Roman soldiers. I mean, it's been great. I'm just sitting here. They're coming to me. I don't have to run around anymore, right? (laughs) And John is the same kind of thing. You know, he's doing this ministry, and then he gets arrested and thrown in prison, and then he's going to die before he sees the end of it you know that's it's it's really interesting now no know no that's that's a little bit of an overstatement cuz John clearly gets to find out what happens <laughs> no, no doubt about it but um but yeah and so so there's this there's this sense of uh the lord uses people in ways that we don't always see the full outcomes of them right and and part of that is uh what Jesus if if i could do the shorthand of what Jesus is saying to John you need to see, and you need to hear, and you need to believe. You need to trust me. You need to trust me. I know what I'm doing, right? Now, it doesn't look like things are working out, but you need to trust me. So so I, I have a feeling that this message would have been an encouragement to John, right? In fact, it may be the very thing that he needed to hear where he says, oh, yeah, okay, I, now I know. Okay, right, just needed a little 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 uh, little reminder there that that 's a great question you know great question anybody else any questions anything on that all right uh, the next episode, one of the most familiar in luke uh, seven thirty six through fifty you get the story of the sinful woman who comes while Jesus is uh, eating at a pharisee 's house and i 'm just going uh, i 'm just going to paraphrase the per- first part of this or summarize the first part of it. Uh, they're eating and the lady comes in and she begins to um she brings in an alabaster flask of ointment and she begins to wipe his feet uh with her hair and her tears and she kisses jesus feet as she's anointing them with the ointment now um you know we're so used to hearing this story just put yourself in jesus place for a minute right this would be a v- to to say this is socially awkward i mean that doesn't even begin to get to it right here is a woman and she's a sinner Right, luke specifically calls her a sinner which means more likely she's a prostitute right and so here she comes in just previously jesus already said they've already accused me of being a drunkard and a glutton right well that's just add the third thing to the list right how does he know this woman, right? And that's the very thing that they raise. Look, verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, and, and by the way, this, this Pharisee has invited Jesus into his house, which seems to indicate to me, hey, I want to find out a little bit more, you know? Uh, and also, something else that's really interesting, at, at the beginning of Acts, we find out that many of the Pharisees came to faith after the resurrection right which which i i love every time i read it i love that because you know here they're the bad guys but they're not all bad guys right in fact these are the good guys that don't know they're the bad guys right so this pharisee has invited jesus in and so as this happens verse 39 he says if this man were a prophet remember the other people had said surely a prophet is among us so that's the issue. He says, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what, who and what sort of woman uh, it is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Right? So this Pharisee gives Jesus respect. He, he recognizes Jesus as a teacher here, right? So I think this guy is really trying to figure out what's going on here. But Jesus is doing some things that's problem, problematic. And you all know the story a certain money lender had two debtors one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50 and they could not pay and he canceled the debt of both now which of them will love him more (laughs) now we don't know about denarii right 500 basically that that that's something like one owed uh two months wages the other owed two years wages right a lot of money lots of money right um on that second one so which one will love him more um and and again uh really interesting verse 42 where it says when he could not pay he canceled Uh, what does your translation have there is it canceled yeah that's the same root it's based on a root that our word for grace comes from right so in other words he freely let go of the debts right so we're right so we're tracing that little thread along really important He canceled the debt above him. Which one will love him more? And Simon said, The one, I suppose, to whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said, Well, you've judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many. See that? Jesus does not deny her sinfulness here. This is is a really important thing that we've left out of the modern church altogether. We want to totally redefine people to say that what they're doing is not sinful in the first place. But here is the problem grace means nothing to people who are not sinful right jesus has come to call those who know they are sick if you don't know you're sick jesus has nothing for you that's why the redefinition of sin in our modern times is so disastrous because not only does it nullify what sin actually is it makes void the work that jesus does for sinners That's who he came to save. And if we try to redefine everybody as non-sinners, Jesus has got nothing for you. Go somewhere else, right? This is the place where sinners come together and recognize that we're sinners. And the only place we can find healing is through the Lord Jesus. And so notice what Jesus says. He says, her sins are many, right? But they are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little now we i don't we don't have any idea what relationship how, how this lady came to jesus in the first has she seen and heard right we're, we're not told any of the backstory of, of what's going on here right but as she comes in and as she does this for jesus it's very clear that as she comes in there's this huge expectation that things are going to go well that Jesus is going to accept her, right? That Jesus is going to be gracious towards her, right? You follow me? And so he says to her, For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Now, he's already answered that question earlier, right? You remember when he, when he healed the, the guy who was paralytic? Uh, he, he, he came forward and said, You know, same question, Who is this? And then verse 50, he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You need to underline that. That's critical statement right there. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Right. This woman comes in and all she knows is that if I can just get over there and touch Jesus, he is going to accept me. Right. He's going to give me what I need. And what this woman needs, right, it's not physical healing, it's spiritual healing right and so uh and 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 what i think is going on here and what jesus is saying is this 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 woman is able to love the way she loves because she realizes how much she's been forgiven from right she is somebody that jesus has come to call she is the person who is she knows she's sick she's not one of the pharisees who thinks they're righteous you follow me right simon doesn't think he's got much to be forgiven of if anything at all this lady knows she's got everything to be forgiven of the pharisee is rejected the prostitute is brought in right now who who would have seen that coming in the kingdom right who would i mean who would (laughs) who would imagine that you would go to a dinner party and do this to the messiah the lord god in human flesh and that he would accept it right if you even say a bad word about other so-called gods like Allah, they are so pesky and, and, and pitiful that if you even say their name in the wrong way, they get all upset and bent out of shape and may send you straight to hell without any cause whatsoever. Right? Here is the Lord God in human flesh and He lets this very sinful woman come in and touch His feet. Right? And, and, and interact with Him. and He doesn't rebuke her. He says, "This is this 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 is an expression of your faith. This is the very thing that saved you, right? Wow, man! I don't know about you. About I want to absolutely right his mercy and the fact that Jesus has mentioned this idea of grace. He canceled their debt, right? He he graciously released them from their debt. That's what he's doing with this woman. What did she had to do? Nothing. Just come to Jesus. That's, that's all she's done. She's just come to Jesus." And showed how much she loves him. Wow. And I have, a th- I have a feeling that as she's listened to all these other sermons, right, that Jesus has been teaching, she's got it in her head. Ah, oh, this is the guy who can do it. This is the guy who forgives. This is the guy who's gracious. This is the guy who's merciful, right? Yeah, he's setting a high standard, but he's our only hope. So I'm going to go and I'm just going to pour my... And again, notice again who we have here. This is somebody who is... Not only is this a rough situation for Jesus socially, but imagine this woman... Having to come into this house and these people that have rejected her her whole life, and now the risk that she's taken to do that, right? And what does that show? It shows humility. Just like Peter before. Lord, I am not even worthy to be in the same boat with you. Just like the uh, centurion. Lord, I'm not even worthy to have you come into my house, right? Here, humility. Calling on the Lord's mercy yeah and of course you know and and we don't know how far back this goes but i have a sneak of suspicion this goes back far but a rabbi would not allow anybody any woman but his wife to touch him wife and daughters right so for this woman to come up and touch a rabbi i mean people would be losing their mind what is going on here you know i mean i just i mean just imagine if we're in bible study and a woman comes in right right now and starts washing my feet one number one my wife would probably have a fight on our hands and uh, yeah I, I don't know if my wife would be killing me or the woman but we all know what it's right weird situation here it is that's on un- yeah uh, just uh, the recurring word all the time she's a sinner she's, yeah something on them that tell them that I mean, well you know the you know the, this is uh you know the, here he, he let's see where is he here i, I don't think it tells us so he's, he's still up in one of the cities You know, these cities, like like Nazareth, we know at at the time, had about 400 people living in it. And and some of these little villages had even fewer than that. So, you know, you're living in a town that's got two or three hundred people in it. It's not like Memphis where there's a lot of places to hide, you know. So her reputation would have preceded her, you know. And also, I mean, if you're going to make this, y'all, I don't want to get too far into this, but if you're going to make a living as a prostitute you got to be visible, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, you you got to got to be out there. Yeah, right? Nothing's changed about that, you know? So yeah, everybody knows. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and you know, and there were there were there were a lot of social cues too. women um uh women who were m- making letting people know that would often not cover their heads in a time when you know, women would cover their heads to show their Deference and respect and whatnot, you know. So a woman without her head head covered, she was putting herself forward as, "Hey, you know, I'm open for business." That kind of thing. So uh that that sounded awful. Y'all know, you know what I mean. Um, sorry, I, I didn't mean for that. Too. think even the to the perfume would be part of her trade. Yes. Yeah. uh More likely so. Yeah. You know this. This is. <laughs> yes. Let me just say that. That's all I'm going to say. I'll just yeah. You know, we're we're living in a time where people don't take showers every day and whatnot. So yeah, it would be part of the you know, part of what's going on there. Absolutely, don't you think boy. And you, and you think about that, and you think, wow, uh, here we go. It's, so and, and that would also indicate this would be a very costly act for her. You know, this so is something that's co- and that's going to be important a little bit later too. Don't you think it's also a lesson in humility? Yeah. With the way he addresses that Pharisee. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely, yeah, that's absolutely right. And again, it's this contrast that we've got. The sinners are getting into the kingdom. The Pharisees and scribes who thought we were, we're already in. Jesus said, no, you're, you're not even close. All <laughs> right. Yeah. So really powerful. But, uh, verse 50, and, and um, highlight this again. When he says to her, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Peace is a, is a big idea for Luke. And, and although he doesn't mention it specifically by word, a lot. The, the, the concept is there. In fact, if you remember when the angels come and visit the shepherds and they're singing their praise, what do they say? Glory to God in highest and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. So this woman, Jesus tells her to go in peace. Who is she? She's a woman on whom God's favor rests. Why? Because she's a woman of faith. Despite all of her sinfulness... She's a woman. And let me let me redefine faith just a little bit differently, because this is going to be important as we go. We've already seen it somewhat. When we say faith, we think of it nebulously as just believing something, right? But the way I I think it's better to think about faith is this your trust has produced this for you, right? And what Jesus said, because you trusted me, that's the idea. Not that she just believed things about Jesus, but that she trusted Him enough that when she came into His presence, she had some idea of what was going to happen here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Belief is subtly different from trust. And that's going to be a big, big idea as we go forward here. Because what Jesus is going to call His disciples to do is not just believe things about Him, but to trust Him as He leads them into you know deeper points of ministry and what yeah 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 uh that that's that's a good way to think about sacrificial courage yeah uh that's exactly what she does uh and that that's all part of the overflow of trust in that you know but the the main thing is is that it brings peace and he tells her go in peace now again we're going to circle that we're going to trace that thread as we go through there um anybody else any questions or comments on that All right, chapter eight. Check this out. I don't know if you. I know y'all are reading through Luke. Uh, This is such. It's an odd little statement, and it's a hinge. It's another hinge uh, passage that takes us over to to the next little episodes in his ministry. Uh, Eight chapter, uh, chapter eight, verse one. It says, "And soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and uh, bringing the good news of the kingdom." Uh, of God. Now there is our statement about the kingdom of God again, right? Uh, he's also traveling through all the different villages and stuff. Galilee, the area that he was in, was about uh, was about seventy miles. Uh, it was seventy by forty. So it says is that seventy by forty. Yeah, I think it's seventy miles wide and forty miles deep, so to speak. And uh, scholars that have done studies think there were about 200 or so villages up in that area. So Jesus is traveling around all in through there, uh, proclaiming the the good news uh, of the kingdom. And then it says, and the 12 were with him. So there's the 12 specifically that he's already set apart as apostles. They're going to be important here in just a couple of chapters and also now look at this also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities mary called magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out uh traditionally mary magdalene is identified as the woman that we just had in the story beforehand there's no evidence that that's so you know mary in popular films and stories is portrayed as the prostitute that jesus healed and if you read all that dan brown uh nonsense what's the name of that book um uh shoot what is it called angels and demons and the, and the one before it the uh, gosh what is that my mind just went completely blank Um. anyway you know it's all the mythology that jesus actually married uh, jesus married mary magdalene and they had kids and all their kids wound up in france and i'm like well that just proves that that's not true because if jesus children wound up in france that country would have turned out a lot better than it did right um so anyway, um, all that we know about Mary Magdalene is that she's got seven demons. Uh, Jesus cast out seven demons. Then verse three it says you've got Joanna, the wife of huzza Herod's household manager. That means that she is part of an arist- uh, aristocratic family, right? She's part of the regime of the Herods and whatnot. So she's got a little money. And Susanna, we don't know anything about Susanna, but there she is. Um, <laughs> And many others, now look at this, many others who provided for them out of their means, right? It's it's these women that are providing for Jesus out of their means. Now, one of the things that may blow your mind, uh, because again, we, we've got all these stereotypical views of things that, that go on in the first century, but often... Uh, in both Roman and Jewish society, the women would be entrusted with a lot of the responsibilities of overseeing the household and overseeing the welfare of the family, both financially and the training of the kids. And particularly in, in Roman culture, I mean this is terrible, but in Roman culture it's well documented that you would have your wife that you had children with and she would raise the kids and make sure they were educated and oversee your finances. And then you would have your other women that you'd go out and have fun with. Right? that's just the way the Romans did it. Nobody found any big deal about it until your wife started killing you and then you got, you know, you go and you start reading all of those, you know, the Roman histories and it's like he was a leader, he was poisoned by his wife, you know. He was a leader, his wife stabbed him in the eye while he was sleeping and then you're like, "Well, I know why that happened, right? That's no big deal." So, so here these these women come from uh, a fairly well-to-do families apparently and they're able to support jesus out of their means um which is (laughs) which is really significant you know it's it's uh i mean uh that that i'm about to say something i'm getting so much trouble i'm just going to move on from there uh let let me me just say that you know oftentimes it's the women that motivate the giving in things you know and so women um women support ministries more often than men do you know to me that's really interesting (laughs) <laughs> yes, absolutely. And these women are traveling around with them. That is unheard of. That is absolutely unheard of in the first century. So Jesus welcomes them in and, you know, allows them to to, to take care of them in a sense. You know, Lydia, who with Paul. Yeah, I, I was about to say Lydia uh, in Acts, when Paul meets her, it says that she was a seller of purple goods. Paul. You know, she is away from home doing family business and she runs into Paul. <laughs> Guess <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> So Stacy, do you think this Joanna connection was where Herod got his news about Jesus? Maybe, yeah, maybe because I, so, I mean somebody is great prominence in Herod's household. Yes. Wife is traveling around with Jesus. Think- yeah, right. If in fact if you if you look over to chapter nine, uh look over to chapter nine, verse seven. And it, it says, 9-7 uh, says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, Herod's in the know. And I have a feeling it's because we at least know that, that this woman is right with Jesus. And she's, you know, she's probably not, um, she probably still has those connections. And so she's reporting back to her husband, and her husband is telling him what's going on. Yeah, it's wild, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely great. Yeah. All right, y'all. That that we're right at time. That is a that that's hey. That's a pretty good place to stop. We um, um, ne- uh, because next week it shifts gears. So y'all read through chapter eight next week. Jesus starts to teach in some parables, and we have the parable of the seed of the sower and the seed, and he explains that parable, and then uh, Jesus comes. Uh, Jesus' family comes to see him. And um, he 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 deals with them. That's a really interesting episode. We'll talk about that. And then l- let me just, uh, let me show you something. If you, if you look down in your notes at the bottom of page 19, I want you to look at this so when you read it next week, you can see this if you haven't seen it before. Uh, chapter 8 is a really critical chapter where Luke brings a lot of things together for us. And so if you look at the bottom of page 19 in your notes, uh, outline two five five second line up from the bottom jesus calms a storm on the lake right so he performs a miracle that shows his authority over nature which already did earlier with the catch of fish and whatnot then the next thing jesus heals a man with a legion of demons y'all remember that story this guy is plagued by maybe thousands of demons um, and jesus takes care of that situation so he, he shows his authority over the unclean spirit spiritual realm Pardon? Is that the ham? Is that the what? The devil ham? Yes, that's the deviled ham. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, uh, the deviled ham that becomes potted meat. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, so he, he he heals the man with the legion of demons. Then he heals. Uh, show, so that shows his authority over uh unclean spirits then at top page 20 he heals a woman with the issue of blood who's had it for 12 years showing his power over sickness and then he raises jairus daughter from the dead showing his authority over death so all the miracles that he's done before we have all four types right here in this one chapter just reiterating his authority over these things so y'all read through that next week and we're going to uh next week we're, we're really going to do quite a bit of summary because uh, th- there's not a lot that we need to f- focus on. I'm going to point out some of the key statements, and then we're going to tie that together with um, what what he does after that, because chapter 9 is also a critical turning point. So we'll, we'll try to get into that next week. All right, y'all, and just a reminder, next week is the last class. Uh, I'll remind you of it next week, and then we'll take our break and come back in January. So let, let me go ahead and pray for us, and we'll turn loose. We're a little bit over. And I look forward to seeing you all again next week. Father, we thank you for all the ways that you provide for us and bless us and sustain us and carry us along. We thank you for your word. Uh, we, we thank you that, that this has been preserved for us for so many years now that as we read it today, we can uh, gain insight not just into Jesus' earthly ministry, but as ministry that continues on in and through us and how you have... Um, How you've given us the task of making disciples out of all nations, uh, baptizing and teaching people to keep what you taught through our Lord Jesus and also remembering that he is with us even to the end of the age. And so we thank you for those truths that encourage us and help us to uh, develop our faith and our trust and our hope in you, because without you, there is nothing else And so we give you thanks for these things. For Jesus' great namesake, amen.